You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. You know, when we started this study uh, some weeks back in 1 Timothy, and we're going to plan to look at the book of Titus, 2 Timothy also, you know, I really felt like the Lord put these things in my heart for us, that we should look at these passages, these letters, because they are so instructive concerning the church, what God has designed church to be. And I think that's so important that we allow God to describe and define church for us, lest we kind of define it ourselves, or even worse, we allow the culture or the trend of today's thinking to kind of impose and form us into the type of organization that they would like us to be. And we need to uh, allow God's Word to define us. And my, my prayer has been that as we look at these passages together, my heart is that you will see yourself kind of woven into the story of God's kingdom advancing through His church. You know, it's very easy for us, I think especially in our culture, the busyness of our lives, to kind of see church as just one more thing on the schedule. You know, we've got a lot of other things going on between family and work and all important things. And But hey, church is important, so we definitely want to kind of get that checked off on Sundays as well. But as we read the New Testament and we see what God's intention for the church and its impact and connection with our lives we see that God is really encouraging us to be much more engaged in the church, his family, his household, that we are his people and called to mission in our generation. And that's my hope that you will see that you're, you know, I'm part of this program. I'm part of God's plan in the earth. And that plan is affected through my connection to his people. I'm not doing this lone ranger. It's not just me on mission for God. Yes, I have a personal relationship with him. That's essential. But that place of being engaged personally then also connects you corporately to his people and to his work. And as we come to these verses today, this happens to be kind of right in the middle of this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. As you know, he's writing a letter to Timothy, who's pastoring the work in a church at Ephesus. Paul can't be there. He's traveling on his missionary work, but he's writing to Timothy, giving some instruction. And this is right in the middle of that letter, and we kind of see the heart of the apostle revealed in just these few verses. And so it's kind of important for us to examine these few short verses carefully, because it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the letter. Three things that I'd like to point out to you today as we look at this text. I think that we will see the purpose of Paul's writing. We will see the people that Paul is concerned about as he writes, and the person that he wants to see glorified in this church that he is instructing for. Take a look with me, verses 14 through 16. We'll read it all together, pass through with me, and then I'll come back and look at these three items. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Paul gives Timothy very clearly the purpose For his writing, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. How to behave in God's church, Timothy. I want you to set the pattern, the order of conduct for God's people as they come together, when they gather. There there are rules of engagement, rules of conduct that God wants to see in every church. Paul's writing to Timothy, but we know this is the Holy Spirit 
writing to the church for all generations. These instructions are relevant for us as well. We've already looked at much of this in the studies from our past weeks. We've seen Paul talking about the the importance of true doctrine being preserved, the priority of prayer. He's spoken about the roles for men and women. And most recently, we've saw the qualities for leadership and servants in the church. And now we're in the middle, and there's more warning and instructions to come in the balance of the letter. But he pauses here to just kind of say to Timothy, by the way, Timothy, The reason I'm writing all these specific things, I hope to come and talk face to face, but if I can't get there, I want you to know that this is the pattern. This is the conduct for you to manage the house and people of God. And this is important for us to receive it as what it is, the Word of God. You know, we are so uh, prone to be influenced by culture. We are so prone to be kind of wanting to be compliant and winsome to the culture. Be careful. We can't compromise what God has called us to be, and we can't allow those forces or trends to shape us. And as we follow God's instructions, here's the truth. Here's the reality. The church remains relevant in the culture. See, that's the argument sometimes. We, we want to be engaging with the people of our time. We want people to be one to Christ. We want to reach out to the world and win them for Jesus. And so we strategize ways to remain relevant and kind of, you know, engaged. The trouble is if we get too kind of relevant, if you will, and kind of trying to emulate the world, to win the world, eventually we become irrelevant as the church. We're just another worldly organization that gets together and gathers and does their thing. We're not holding on to our original mission, which is to bring Christ to our generation. You know, Pastor Greg Laurie, the evangelist, I remember something he said as we were gathered as pastors, kind of praying for the harvest, one of the Harvest Crusades a few years back. He said, men and women, we have to be careful. We've been so uh, desiring to cross over into the culture, but we forgot to bring the cross over. We forgot to bring the message that saves. We're so wanting to be kind of connected and, and available, but if we don't bring the message that impacts the culture, we lose our relevance altogether. I think staying true to God's instruction keeps us relevant because Jesus Christ is relevant. The gospel is the message that is needed for the day. The gospel is still the power of God for salvation. And as we stay true to his truth, we will always have a power and a witness to a world that is dark and desperately in need of the love and grace and mercy of God. When will that go out of style? Love, mercy, salvation, forgiveness. When will those things not be needed? They're always needed because mankind is in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Now, as Paul writes this, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself. It's not just Timothy knowing how to conduct himself. Listen to this from the ESV. If I delay, I'm writing so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. In other words, Timothy, I'm writing to you, but this is instruction for all, so that everyone will know what conduct in God's church is appropriate and relevant. Let's look at the second thought here that I have in my notes. Not only is this purpose listed for us clearly, but also Paul talks about the people that he wants to see impacted. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. God's people. Who's who's Timothy supposed to be kind of bringing these principles to apply? The people of God, the saved, the the called out ones of God. He gives us three qualities here that he mentions in this passage. First of all, the household of God, the house of God, the family of God. 
the church, the, the called out ones, and then the pillar, the ground and pillar, the pillar and ground of the truth. This household of God, the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God, but we are also brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, church isn't just a place you go to kind of help your relationship with your heavenly Father, with God. It is that, but it's also a place where you connect with God's family. Family's important, and family relationships have to be kind of developed and maintained and worked at, just like in a, 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 your blood family, right? It's important to gather. It's important to be together and relate to one another. And so God has not just called us individually as sons and daughters of himself, but not really connected to each other. We are intimately connected to one another. It is a family. You may may remember Jesus when he first started out on his public ministry. He began to travel and began to preach and you know, just the miracles and the crowds that began to gather with him. Well, he also had his blood family, his mother, Mary, and his half-brothers, those that were born into his family. He was born of the Holy Spirit through Mary, but Mary went on and had other children. We would call them Jesus's half-brothers. James is one of them, Jude. Some of them wrote letters in the New Testament. But in the beginning of his earthly ministry, they really didn't believe in him. This Jesus was just the older brother, He was just, you know, he kind of grew up here in town, a part of the family business, you know, the carpenter of of Nazareth, you know, and now he's all off being the Messiah. Come on, Jesus, when are you coming home and just being back, come back to the family? So there was this disconnect. They couldn't see him beyond just how they knew him just as their brother. Of course, he was the Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. And as he's out ministering, there were times when his family kind of tried to reel him in a little bit, you know? Jesus, okay, enough of this whole Messiah thing, okay? You had your little fun. Come home now. And we see this played out in some of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 12, you don't need to turn, but I'll, I'll read this to you in verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking to the people, that is Jesus, behold, his mother... And his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Interesting. Now, you know Jesus loved his family. Jesus loved his mother, Mary. He loved his brothers. But now he's engaged in the ministry of God's kingdom work. And these disciples, these people of God, these followers of Christ are becoming family to him. And he even seems to draw a line. Listen, my blood family is important, but the kingdom of God is what I must be about. I have a heavenly father and a spiritual family that God has connected me to, and those that are, are walking with me in the will of God. These are my real family. I think that's important for us to remember, not to disconnect with our family, even unsaved family, but not to forget the priority of your spiritual family. God has brought you into relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called together as God's children, as God's family, but not just family. Paul says the church of the living God. The church, it's the Greek word ecclesia. It means those that are called out. God has called a group of people, those that have come to faith in Christ. He has called them out to be this gathering, this community, this group of believers that belong to him, and he calls them his church. Now, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, although the members of that church are now the church with God in heaven. 
We are now members of this church, and the church is across the globe. We are all called out by God, have come to faith in Christ, and we belong together. And what, who we are, we're just the local chapter, if you will. We're the local community that God has brought together as his church, but we are connected, called out by God, connected to one another, and missioned by God. We have a purpose together. We're called individually into relationship and then connected to one another corporately. I'm going to read this passage out of 1 Peter. Peter talks a little bit about his, this, he gives a little metaphor on how to visualize the church. So let me read it. It's a little, a few verses, but follow with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, Peter says that we have come to him, Jesus, as to a living stone, that's Jesus. He's the living stone. Re, uh, in, rejected indeed by men, right? He's the stone the builders rejected, but chosen by God and precious. We have come to this precious living stone, the rock, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. You also, now here's who you are now that you've come to this living stone, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, listen, each one of you, you are now little members of the building. You're the stones that have been built together to build this house of God, the church. When you come together, you form a place for God to come and dwell in your midst. There is something of a spiritual dynamic that is present as we gather together that is unique and different than the presence of God that is ever with us, even when we are by ourselves. God will meet you personally. And it's an important part of your Christian life is to have that private devotion time with God that reading of your Bible, that praying and crying out to God and worshiping Him and allowing the Spirit of God to be real to you. That's essential in your Christian walk. But it's not the exclusive work of God in your life. There is this corporate life that He calls you to. And He has made promise. We, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. Uh, Peter is saying here, listen, you guys are like together forming this house for God to come and dwell. And you will experience certain uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit and impact in your life together in a church corporate setting that you cannot duplicate individually. And God has intended both for your spiritual, for my spiritual well-being and health. Peter goes on. He says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter says, not only are you kind of this uh, dwelling place for God to meet in your gathering, but you're also a group that God has called out and given a mission to. You're a royal priesthood. You know what the priest ministry was? It was an, a, a mediating between God and man, between man and God. Jesus is our high priest, and he stands between us and the Father, he represents the Father to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know God. We've seen the face of God because we've seen and know Christ. But he also represents us before the Father. He has atoned for our sin. He mediated for us. He was our advocate. And he lives today interceding for us. That's why we have access. That's why we can come boldly. Because Jesus, our high priest, is there to mediate for us. But Peter says, look, you too, as God's people, you have this kind of priestly ministry. You are now representing God to a, to a lost world. You have to mediate to your generation. How will they know Jesus? 
How did you learn about Jesus? Someone shared this truth with you. Someone represented Christ in a way that you believed and came to faith. And so we're on mission to represent, to be that royal priesthood, that holy nation, God's chosen people. Yes, he has a future for us. He has a destiny for us eternally. But today, we're just here on mission. This is, a, this is the big, longest missionary trip you've ever had. It started when you came to faith in Christ, and it's over when you go home to be with Jesus. Until then, you're on a giant mission trip, representing God to your culture, to your family, to your workers, to your co-workers, and encouraging one another, connected in the body of Christ. Through this gathering, we are built up and strengthened and encouraged ourselves, and this is part of why we come. There is a spiritual recharging, a spiritual encouragement that we gather, that we gain when we gather, but then we're sent back out on mission. God is glorified in our midst as we praise him. That's what Peter said. You've been brought together that you can declare his praises, but you're also called to be that witness and representation to the world. And how important it is for us to value this gathering, to value this mission that God has entrusted to us. I know it sounds very self-serving, right? The pastor is up here telling you how important it is for you to be in church. And I think it is. But it's not about me. I hope not. It better not be. It's about us. It's about him through us, in us. And what God has given us is instruction in his word. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hey, don't start not assembling Don't start getting entangled and busy and kind of, you know, church is just one of those things that I just can't fit into the schedule anymore. The writer of Hebrews said, no, don't do that. Some are doing that. Don't do that because we need to be exhorting one another. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be gathering so much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ's return. Even in the New Testament, they believed that Christ's return was imminent. And I can only say, if they thought the day was approaching, how much more do we see the day approaching? This is not a time to be putting church on the option list. This is not a time to be getting entangled in all the other affairs of life, and church is kind of relegated down the list. Because after all, there's so much important real-life things I need to tend to. Listen, Jesus is your life. His people are your family. Again, these other things are important, but this gathering is how we learn to be impactful in all other areas of our life, especially now as you see the day approaching. And church, you have to see that our day is needing truth and the gospel desperately. This is something that's entrusted to us. I mentioned to you that we uh, are just finishing up our men's retreat this weekend. And just what a blessing it was. Last night we were gathered and uh, really a, a precious time of worship. And as I got up to share with the men, I, I tell you, I was just moved by, by the Lord, just how blessed it was for us to be together worshiping the Lord. 135 or so men and kind of a, a small little auditorium, so it really felt full, right? And we were just worshiping God. And when you hear, you know, 135, 40 men singing out with all their heart, hands raised to God, I mean, it's just, it's a powerful spiritual moment. It really is. And I said, guys, this side of heaven, that's about as good as it gets. I don't think we'll have better worship till we get there, but this was so good. And it's so good, men, that you came and made this step to, re- to retreat away and seek the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to make the men that are here today that weren't on the retreat feel guilty. That's between you and the Lord. You know who you are. 
Not everybody can go. I understand. But I I commended the men because they took the time. They made the investment. They made the priority to go. And this is what I felt, and I'll share it with you today, because I think this is true for our gatherings as well, just regular basis. You know, it's not like any one Sunday morning is necessarily going to radically change our life, unless it's the Sunday morning you come to Jesus. Now, that's a radical day that changes your life forever. But so much of our walk with the Lord is this, you know, keeping up with our spiritual health and well-being. I don't remember what I preached three or four weeks ago. I know we were in 1 Timothy, but I can't remember what I was talking about. But I know I was talking about something important because I was talking about the Bible. And I know that it was good spiritual food and nourishment for our spiritual lives. I don't remember what I had for dinner two weeks ago, but I know I had dinner. I don't miss dinners, right? And I know it was nourishing, and I know that I needed that to stay strong and stay healthy. You see, it's not one moment, oh, you know, nothing radically happened to me this Sunday. I don't have to go. Of course you have to go. Because you need that spiritual nourishment and encouragement. It's a process. And so it is with the retreats. Well, they're once a year. I've been to a bunch of them. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you can't be blessed and encouraged. It's part of the journey. Listen, you're trying to make it to a finish line. You're trying to finish well. And it is so easy to get off course. And it happens subtly, and it happens gradually, and you get caught up, and other things are important. And before you know it, you're like, where am I? How did I get here? Weeks and months, sometimes years go by. And you look back and you remember. I remember when I loved being with God's people. I remember when I loved worshiping Him. I remember like the psalmist when I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of God. What happened? What happened? Life happened. Distraction happened. Like those seeds that fell amongst the thorny soil. It sprang up. There was life there. But then the thorns choked out the fruitfulness, the cares of life, the anxiety, the desire for other things. Keep God's gathering as a priority in your life because it is so important for your spiritual life. And what a blessing that you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. Praise the Lord. But I want to encourage you. This discipline is, again, not some religious checklist, but an important part of your spiritual walk and development. I'll tell you, the Lord met us at this retreat We finished up with kind of just a time of worship and allowing the Holy Spirit to minister through brothers that felt God impressing a word, a word of wisdom, knowledge, prophecy. For two hours after our service, we just stayed and lingered in worship, and men shared their heart. Incredible ministry took place on such an intimate and personal level. There was a word even for me, and the men prayed for me, and I so needed it. That's the importance of God's people. There are things that you need that you can only get from God's family, from the church that God has connected you with. Well, not only are we the church of the living God, but we are the pillar and ground of the truth. Church, we are on mission. We have a task that has been entrusted to us. It's been handed down from generation to generation. We are to be the pillar and the ground of truth. We are to maintain and hold up truth in our generation. The Word of God, it's why we study it. It's why we, we, we teach it and preach it. It's why we call our lives to obey it. It's why we defend it. It's why we proclaim it. It's why we believe it. This truth has changed our lives. This gospel truth given to us from his word is why we gather and come together, is to maintain and sustain this, that there would be a voice in our generation. How will God's word be known? 
How will God's word be heard? How will the gospel message reach a dying generation that is desperate for truth? Through the church. Through the church. Through our gathering. Through our keeping it alive in our hearts. And through our representing it to anyone who would come to be among us. That they would always find truth amongst God's people, that God's word and truth would be represented and sustained. And that brings me to my third and final kind of understanding of this passage. Who is the truth? Who is the word made flesh? It's none other than Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 16, and he declares Christ. And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Paul says, Timothy, the church has got to sustain truth in our time. And this is the truth without controversy, without any doubt in your mind, Timothy. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what must be sustained in the church and in the heart of God's people, Jesus Christ. May Jesus always be found in this place. May there always be something of his presence and his truth and his gospel represented in our time together and represented in everything that we're about The church is all about Jesus, and Jesus is all about his church. We are his bride. Paul says, without controversy, it's settled. The church is, well, the church is about, you know, um, ministering, you know, other kind of areas and needs. That's fine, but it better be bringing Christ. It better be representing Jesus. You can help people in their need. But the idea of helping people in their need is to share the love of Christ. We care about you because Jesus loves you. Because you're of value to Christ. Your life has worth. And we're here to come alongside and help you in the practical. But the most important thing is the spiritual need. And the only answer, the only cure for that is Jesus Christ. This is without controversy. Paul goes on, and most commentators believe that he actually is quoting a hymn that would have been known and popular in the first century church. And as you read it, it kind of comes in little stanzas. It it does seem like a hymn. And as, as if Paul is saying, listen, it's all about Jesus. Just like you guys are singing on Sunday morning, this is the hymn that glorifies and exalts and identifies Christ. It's this great mystery. Christ has now been fully revealed. Oh, he's been prophesied for thousands of years, the the apostle Paul could say through the Old Testament scriptures, but now he's come to the earth. Now he's been revealed. The mystery is unfolding before us. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. He comes and he quotes this hymn, kind of comes in little pairs of truth, and I'll just work through them here quickly with you and we'll close. Three parts. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. This seems to declare his birth, manifested in the flesh, his resurrection, justified, raised, glorified in the spirit. The word became flesh. God so loved the world that he sent his son. God became a man. God put off his eternal nature. Well, I shouldn't say put it off, but he brought it with him and put on our nature. He set aside his privileges and rights and humbled himself to come and serve, to come and die to come and save. God came to earth. Have you heard of anything so radical? There is a God that loves you and he came to earth and became a man to save you. Is there a better message than that? Is there a greater penetrating truth that anyone could hear? 
The word became flesh and he was raised in the spirit. Romans 1.4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This Jesus, he came for us, he died for us, he raised for us. This is without controversy. This is how God is reaching lost mankind through this Jesus who has come and risen. He's seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, as if to say heaven and earth witness to this truth. This is not some story that a few of us kind of uh, put together on the side and now being propagated by a few, you know, zealots. No, all of heaven witnessed this. It was, it was angels that announced his birth at Bethlehem when those shepherds saw the heavenly choir. It was angels that came and visibly ministered to Jesus during his ministry, recorded for us by the eyewitness accounts in the Gospels. It was angels that announced his resurrection when they came looking for him at the empty tomb. It was angels that kind of brought, snapped the disciples back to reality as they were watching him ascend up into heaven, their eyes gazing up into the clouds. And then an angel said, hey, why are you looking up there? He's coming back. Your, your life and ministry is now here. Angels have given testimony, heaven and earth. Yes, he was seen by angels and he has been preached among the Gentiles. That word Gentiles, it means all the nations. This is not just the Jewish faith anymore. He's not just the Jewish Messiah, although he is. He is also being preached as a savior to the world. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Excuse me. I've been on a men's retreat and I'm kind of worked up. I'm preaching myself right out of a voice. <clears throat> He's been preached to the world. He's been believed on in the world and received up in glory. Jesus sits in heaven. The message goes out, and as we believe, we are saved. He's preached, believed, but Jesus is Lord of all. He came from heaven. He died for the sins of the world, and now he has ascend, ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. He has commissioned the Holy Spirit to empower, to enable, to work in our lives, to change us, to give us grace for this mission of preaching him in the world. I like what we sing in that worship song that we enjoy. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? This is without controversy. He's been preached, he's been believed on in the world, and he is received and seated in glory. Philippians 2 and verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Jesus has been exalted, and this is without controversy. This is what should be taking place at the church. Timothy, here's how you, here's how you set priority in the church. Here's the conduct. Here's how to behave. Jesus Christ is to be glorified, and, and, and his truth and his gospel preserved and sustained. We have this mission now passed from generation to generation, and it comes to us. We are now the body of Christ. And together, God has called us to be his representation. Now, of course, that means we come and we study and we worship and we're, we're equipped and strengthened. And then we do. We go back out into our highways and byways and we represent Christ. 
And sometimes we disconnect that. Well, church, oh, I got to fit that in because I got, you know, uh, pastor, I got, I, got, I got family. Don't you know that Jesus is the one who is going to work in your life for family? Don't you know Jesus is the one who's going to teach you how to do family? Yeah, pastor, I got to work. I got a job. Don't you know Jesus is the one who is going to actively be involved in your work? Who do you work for? I think you're supposed to be, you and I are supposed to be working for the Lord in everything. No matter what your hand finds to do, you do it for the Lord. You're working for an earthly uh, job, but it's unto the Lord. So as we learn to follow Jesus, all parts of our life are affected and strengthened and blessed. Paul said there's coming a day when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. It's, it's going to be soon where all of us will know. You know, it really was and is all about Jesus. John saw a little sneak preview, right? He, wrote, he writes to us in the book of Revelation, and I'll close with this verse. Revelation 5 and 11, he says, Then I looked... And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands beyond number, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Jesus is all about his church. His church is all about Jesus. We are here for the work of the kingdom. We are here for such a time as this. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the kingdom work and recognize that together we can encourage and be enabled by him. We had um, Pastor Greg Opine, uh, a, a local pastor, sharing with the men yesterday morning. And our theme for the retreat was the Apostle Paul, when he prayed and asked the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh that was hindering him, and he prayed and asked three times, and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is perfected in weakness. God was telling the Apostle, it's okay that you're weak because of this trouble, because when you're weak, I can be strong. It's in your weakness that God ultimately wants to demonstrate and show his grace, his strength. And when we're strong and self-sufficient and self-reliant and prideful, God's very limited into what he can and will do in and through your life. But when you are humbled and broken and desperate, you're right where God can use you. And Paul teaches us this lesson. lesson. That was the, the theme, it, strength made perfect. And for men, you know, that's a challenge because we're all about being strong and we're all about trying to pretend, you know, that we're, we're strong when we're not. And, and, and for, for God, it's, it's like, look, I'm looking for weakness. I'm looking for men who know they need me, men who are willing to allow my strength to lead. And not just for men, of course, for all of us. Pastor Greg Opine, he said this, and I'll close with this thought because I think it connects us just to my thoughts here today. He said, guys, here's the problem. We just don't get it. We just don't get it. We think that it's all about us. We think that it's all about getting Jesus to come and join our story. And he said it this way, what a lame story that would be. We're, Jesus has not come to our story. He has called us to his story. And this is the mission of the church. We are doing kingdom work. We are about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ.
We are about eternal things, things that matter forever and souls in the balance. And we live in a time when the gospel is desperately needing to be preached and lived and true. It is true. It needs to be represented in a dark time and nothing else will cure or save. There is no political solution for mankind. There is no military strength for mankind. Listen, those all have their place, but ultimately man's trouble is sin. And what man needs is a savior, forgiveness, and peace with God. And that's the story we're invited to be a part of. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else shall be added. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this passage today that just so concisely reveals to us the importance of this church that you have created through the work of your Son, this group of people called out and separated to be your people in the earth. And Lord, here we are. It's our turn. Yeah, the baton has been passed to this generation. And we do see, we feel like we see the day approaching. Lord, we, we wonder what's next. We wonder, Lord, how could things get any darker? And yet, Lord, we're surprised. But Lord, what a mission field for us. What an opportunity for us to live for Jesus. And Lord, I pray. I pray for every heart here today. I know there's trial. I know there's true heartache and difficulty. I know that there's weakness among us today. But Lord, I believe that even in weakness, maybe even I could say especially in weakness, your grace is sufficient and your strength can be perfected. That you can do a work in us when we, when we feel like we have nothing to offer. That's when you go to work and create in us the witness of Jesus. The story of Christ who up from the grave rose to the right hand of all authority and is seated there today and invites us to the work of his kingdom for his glory and to participate in something that will last forever. God, help us. Help us individually. Lord, help us corporately. Show us how to work together in this community of faith that you've placed us in. And I pray for every heart here today, Lord, that if this is where they're to be, God, then, then just connect them, Lord, to the work and, and show us the way. If not, Lord, then, then show them where they are to be. Get them connected to the work of your kingdom because all the other things will find their balance as we set you first. God, help us as a church. Help me as a pastor. Help us, Lord. We want to be faithful with what you've called us and entrusted to us. And truly, Lord, what the church is all about, it's all about what you have done for us. It's about Jesus. It's not about who we can be or what we can invent or what we can craft. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us to celebrate that, to rest in that, to discover that, and to declare it to our generation. As our heads are bowed and we get ready to close here in a song of worship, I do want to give opportunity, if there's anyone here today, the Lord has spoken to you and you just need to respond to the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you. If that's something you sense God speaking into your heart, maybe you're here today and you need to come to the Lord. You don't have this relationship. You're not in the family. You're kind of around it. You know something about it, but you've never truly asked the Lord to come into your life, put your faith in Jesus Christ, who came to earth for you, died for your sins at the cross, 
and is risen and seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you, inviting you, welcoming you, saying, come, let me give you rest. Let me forgive you. Let me cleanse you. Confess, acknowledge, I'll rescue you right now. There may be some here today. That's your cry. And I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're someone who needs to recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you are living out on the fringe. Maybe you have moved far away from what once was a passion, once was what your life was all about. But today, trial, entanglement, distraction, for whatever reason, you find yourself distant and you feel the Lord saying, come back to the purpose of my kingdom work in you and through you. Come back and enjoy what I have done for you and celebrate it through your life with those around you. Put me and my kingdom and my heart for you first and let me bless you. And maybe that's your heart today. You just need to come and re recommit and dedicate your heart to that truth. Listen, if that's describing you today, I'm asking you just to raise your hand where you're seated. Let me see you and I'll pray for you. Anybody here today? A couple hands in the back. God bless you. On the aisle. A couple hands there. Over here on my left. There in the back. God bless you. In the middle, a couple hands right there. God bless you both. Anyone else? The Lord's speaking to you. We're just going to pray. It's good to respond. It's good to say, Lord, that's me. God bless you. Just before I pray, anyone else? Amen. So, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, I give you thanks. Lord, you love us so much. God, you're just so committed to us. God, you are, your whole program on the earth is for us. Oh, we just, for these hearts responding, we're just, all we're saying is amen, God. I, 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 I receive it. I know you love me. Oh, and how I need your love, how I need your mercy and forgiveness. Cleanse me, Lord. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for interceding for me. And I pray, cleanse me, forgive me, and Lord, set my heart on course with you. I want to be all about you. Jesus, you're all about me. It's time for me to be all about you. And Lord, I'm putting you first. I'm committing. I'm dedicating my heart to you. And I'm asking you, by your grace, I'm weak, but by your grace, that you would be strong in me through your love, through your mercy through your power, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.